Welcome to Sunday School, Refuge members and all of our guests joining with us on this podcast. We are looking to continue our series about finding favor. We've been talking about Noah and his righteousness and his commitment and how he found favor with the Lord, which ultimately led to his salvation as God destroyed everything else that was on the earth. Noah found favor, found grace with him, and his life gives us a great example of how we can find favor with the Lord as well. Our idea to this week is that God gives favor to those who obey the gospel. Before we get started, let's go ahead and pray. We need to pray before we enter into God's word and just get our hearts and minds ready to understand and hear what he wants to speak to us individually. God, you are so wonderful and so good and your plan is perfect. Your ways are perfect. I pray that today that as we hear your word, that you would help us and minister to us, God, that you would give us strength and healing through your word today. Help us, oh God, to find your favor as we live a righteous life, an obedient life, a life of commitment, God. We love you, and we thank you for your word again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture focus of the week is Genesis chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. And it says this, And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Let's use our imaginations again this week and try to picture what it was like for Noah and his family on the ark. Imagine that in preparation, Noah walked through the ark one last time, making sure that all the animals and provisions were loaded. For the last seven days, he and his family had watched in amazement as every kind of land animal came voluntarily to the vessel in gender pairs. It was a miracle. The animals didn't fight with each other. They didn't uh, They didn't have prey and hunter. It was instead uh, peaceful and orderly as they walked up the ramp into the ark. It took a week just to load the boat, and now everything was ready. Noah's family joined him on the ark, and then they watched another miracle as the massive door in the side of the ark closed and sealed Without their help, God did that. The family knew it was God who closed the boat door. And the moment they had been waiting for, that they had been working for, that they had been looking to, had arrived. For a few minutes, the ship was quiet. and It seemed like every creature was holding its breath, waiting for something to happen. Maybe Noah thought to himself in that moment, what now? What if... What if he had a moment of doubt that said, what if we're just in here and nothing happens? It's possible. That happens even to the righteous and the committed. But then Noah hears loud thunder rumble across the plains and lightning crackled in the sky. The heavens boomed and the sound of crashing clouds and then the rains came. Not little drops of water, but a torrential downfall. Water poured from the sky, pounding the roof of the ark so fast that it became a constant roar. Next, an earthquake shook the vessel as underwater springs came bursting from the ground. Geysers erupted all over the earth as the foundations of the deep broke open and released their water. 
It was as if a dam had burst worldwide and water rushed everywhere, both from the sky and up from the ground. The ark started creaking and groaning as it was lifted off the ground. Everything inside could feel the movement as the ship rocked back and forth. Noah looked through the gap between the roof line and the upper deck wall of the ark. The sky was black with storm clouds, and in every direction, violent swirling waves crashed together. The world became an angry ocean. By day three, life on the boat had settled into a rhythm. Each morning and early evening, Noah's family made a complete round through the ark, checking all the animals, making sure they were fed and secure in their stalls. Maintaining this floating zoo had become a full-time job. And outside, the storm noise died down, but there was a steady sound of rain as it pattered on the roof continually. For 40 days, the rain didn't stop. For 40 days. And when it did finally cease... Everybody noticed. Noah knew that God's righteous anger was abated, and once again he looked through the gap at the roof line. No longer were the, were the waters swirling in chaos, but the surface was calm. However, there was no land in sight. In every direction, there was nothing but water from the ark to the horizon. The destruction that Noah and his family witnessed is very hard to imagine. The world had never been subjected to this cataclysmic destruction, this flood that would destroy everything, everything except for Noah and his family and that the animals that they now cared for had been destroyed. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, that Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. That's what we've been talking about, the favor that he found. And why? How? How did he find that favor? It wasn't an accident that God spared Noah and his family. We looked in Lesson 1 and Lesson 2 at how God favors those who choose righteousness and commitment to Him. This lesson is going to explore the next major idea from the life of Noah, the example that we get with from Noah, and that's that God favors those who obey Him. The reason Noah's family was spared from God's judgment in that ancient world is because Noah was obedient to what God asked him to do. The importance of this can't be overstated. The fact the Bible emphasizes this twice. It says in Genesis 6:22, and Noah did all that God commanded him. He did indeed. Just that one verse says it twice, but then Genesis chapter 7 verse 5 says, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. It was a theme in Noah's life. His obedience to God was the outcome of the relationship that he had established long before the flood arrived. It wasn't just that one day God spoke to him and Noah, without a relationship with God, just said, oh, okay, that's a good idea. No, he had a relationship with God. He was able to trust the voice of God because of that relationship and obey what God had said. The three big ideas discussed in this series so far, they are connected. Righteousness, commitment, and obedience to God's work go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other two. Noah's example is so important because he is the first Bible character whose interaction with God resulted in God's special favor and a covenant relationship. And we'll talk more about that next week. Noah's life sets a pattern for us to follow. And obedience to God is a key element that he shows. 
Now, it's easy to talk about obedience, but the real proof is always found in action. Obedience is demonstrated. It's not simply professed. It's not simply something that we talk about or that we say that we're going to do. But obedience is something that we demonstrate with our actions. The biblical picture of a loving God is not the verbal proclamation, I love you, but it is found in obedience. When God rescued the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, they journeyed into a desert place and at Mount Sinai established a covenant relationship with the Lord. Within the law of Moses was a call to love God with their whole being and with their obedience. That was what was pleasing to God. In Moses' final speech to the people before his death, he made multiple appeals to love God. How? How could you love God? By carefully obeying his commands. Then his successor, Joshua, repeats the same emphasis to the people. Love God with your obedience. Have you ever encountered someone who says that they love God, but you know by watching their life that their actions don't align with scripture? I think we probably all can think of someone that falls into that category. And does that make you think, does that make you assured that their love is genuine? No, for the most part, you realize that it's all talk. Without action, they are not truly living a life that shows love to God. This idea is not just found in the law of Moses. Moses, the most direct statement about loving Jesus, is found in his own words in the Gospel of John. He says in John chapter 14, we'll read verse 15, 21, and 23. It says this, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. The person who has my commandments and obeys them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my word and my father will love him and will come to him and take up residence with him. Scripture there clearly proclaims that our obedience to God's commandment is what proves we love him. The two cannot be separated. If we want God's favor, then we must love and obey. And Noah is a great example of this principle. In Noah's story, his actions of both building and then living on the ark teaches us that obedience requires patience. As the previous lesson explored, we do not know how long it took Noah to build that huge boat, but it was not quick. It was a slow process. For many years, probably decades, maybe a hundred years, Noah and his family labored to construct a flood-worthy vessel as they were obedient to God's instructions. Obeying God and the instructions that he gave him was the only way they knew how to do this. And then after they had constructed the boat and the flood began, Noah's family spends over a year living on the boat with all of those animals. That's a long time to stay cooped up inside of a ship with hundreds of animals. And Noah had to remain patient as he obeyed God's command and waited for further instructions. Sometimes God asks us to do something that we that can be accomplished quickly, and sometimes there are other things that take much much longer that he asks us to do. 
simple tasks that are accomplished quickly, they don't really demonstrate our obedience the way long assignments do. When God prompts us to share our testimony with someone, it does not require the same level of commitment and obedience as relocating to start a new ministry or laboring in a certain field for a lifetime. Sometimes it's just easy to do those quick things and feel like we have obeyed God. But are there things that he's calling us to that may take more patience, that may take a little pain, that may take more time out of our schedule? And are we willing to be obedient to those things or do we just pick and choose the things that are comfortable that we'll obey? Which really isn't obedience at all. It's interesting to look at Noah's life. Once he had made that commitment, like we talked about last week, he built the boat and he got on it. The truth is, there was nowhere else to go. He had to be patient on that boat because he had been obedient to God. I think that's the favor of God too. Sometimes God can put us in a situation after we've obeyed him that pins us into his will in such a way that we just have to wait on him. We just have to prove that scripture that says, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. When I don't have the ability to do anything else, that's when God is completely in control. Sometimes that's what obedience leads to and what a beautiful thing that our lives could show and prove the greatness of God. And even though sometimes it is a slow process, it is so worth it. In Eugene Peterson's devotional book on the Psalms of the Ascent, which are Psalms 120 through 134, he encourages Christians to slow down and reflect on the, uh, the journey that we undertake as disciples of Christ. It is no accident that the title of this book he wrote was A Long Obedience in the Same direction. True discipleship requires long obedience, not just short bursts. It requires continuing in the same direction, following after God. Why do you think discipleship requires long obedience? Why isn't it just such a short journey? You know, you, you, you obey the gospel, you repent, you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you're filled with the Holy Ghost and have your born-again experience, and then it's over. Now, that's just the initial obedience. But there is a long journey ahead after that. Paul describes our long journey to our eternal reward as a race and a wrestling match. People that run a marathon or people who fight competitively, which was done in Paul's time too, they train to do that. And Paul knew that. He knew that about his culture, that they're just like our culture today. There was that interest and there was that... Um, there were fans of these sports events and the people that would gain fame through those events that would be uh, the victors in, in the events that in Paul's days, they didn't just go in it without training. They trained. And it would be crazy for someone who wanted to be successful, who wanted to be victorious in these physical endeavors to expect that just showing up and participating would be enough. Be because success in these endeavors, these physical endeavors that we see even today, it takes discipline. 
It's always amazing to me how people recognize this and they live it when it comes to sports, when it comes to academics and when it comes to jobs. People live that. They have discipline. They show up on time. They are there. They are ready for the fight. They have exercised. They have eaten right. Whatever they had to do to be the winner in that battle or to be competitive in that fight or to get that job, whatever it is, they have put in the work. People in our world, they understand that and that transfers over into life, but it seems like it never, it, it, some, for some people, it never goes over into the most important and the only eternal area of our life, our walk with God. The greatest race in this life that we have to our eternal reward, it can only end two ways. And it is silly of us to think that without obedience and without discipline, we're just going to be fine. We are going to be victorious. No, we need to obey God's word. We need to be disciplined enough to keep building on to the life that God is working in us and through us for his will and his purpose that his kingdom would come in our lives. At times, being obedient to what God asks of us, it's difficult and it's costly, but it comes with a blessing that is often overlooked, a blessing that we see in Noah's life, and that is safety. In Noah's case, his family was tucked away safely inside the ark while the world outside was destroyed by God's judgment. Do not miss the symbolism. Noah's family literally floated above the destruction of the world because they were obedient to God. Everything underneath them was dead, drowned in the water. Genesis 7:18 says the waters completely overwhelmed the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the waters. When we are obedient to what God asks us to do, we are spared from many dangers and traps the enemy of our souls would put in our path. People who are faithfully obedient to God's instructions, they don't wander off the straight and narrow road that leads to salvation. Often we're not even aware of the dangers lurking in the shadows. As a good father, God desires to protect us from harm. If you want to keep your soul safe, your soul, the only thing that will last forever, then you need to stay obedient to his commands. I'm reminded of an extreme example of this. Brother Blake, um, a pastor for many years here in Illinois, now retired. He was a missionary to Ghana for a large portion of his life. And during this time, he tells a story about how he was set to fly to a neighboring country for a special conference. And as he was preparing to board his flight, he heard God tell him not to get on the plane. Now, he argued with God for a moment. Didn't make any sense to him. He had a ticket. He had purchased it. He would be out money. He wouldn't be able to make it to the conference. But eventually, at God's nagging and that familiar voice of the Lord speaking to him, he let the plane leave without him. That plane that he was supposed to be on never made it to the destination, but instead it crashed and killed every passenger that was on board. Because Brother Blake had a history of being obedient to the voice of God, he was able to recognize and obey again that voice, and he was spared. He was kept safe. Now, we cannot have life 
saving experiences like that if we are not already obedient in the obvious and what might seem like small stuff. God spoke to Brother Blake because Brother Blake's ears were open and his life showed obedience to God's word. Another aspect of obedience is highlighted by the family of Noah when they joined him in the arm in the ark. Obedience to God's commands must become personal. He didn't drag his family on that boat. He didn't drag his grown sons and their wives onto that boat. There's a corporate aspect to God's instructions that are being observed by a community. Noah's family entered the ark. The nation of Israel obeyed the laws of Moses. The crowd in Acts 2 was baptized after hearing the message of Pentecost. But in addition to this collective observance and obedience of God's instructions, the reality is that each of us make the choice whether or not we will obey God. And remember, it's not a verbal choice. It's our actions. Noah, Noah's wife, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their three wives, they were all saved from the flood because they each entered the ark. Likewise, if we want to experience the favor of God, then we have to choose obedience. At the end of our story, we will all stand before God as individuals. When he opens the book of life, individually, there will be no one beside you to blame. There will be no one beside you that you can say it was their fault that I didn't do this or their fault that I didn't do that. We will each face him individually. We are responsible for our own obedience and we cannot rely on the actions of others. One of the uh, minister's wives in my brother-in-law's church in South Dakota shared her testimony with me a couple of years ago, and it, it always encourages me, especially when I am working with young people, um, young people whose families are not saved. As a young woman in high school, she was invited to church, a church that preached the gospel, and she um, was baptized in Jesus' name. She was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she began to make some changes in her life towards holiness, and her parents, seeing this, forbid her from ever going back to church. They said, you know, as long as you live in our house, you you cannot go back to this church. I don't remember what particular Um, denomination that they followed. But this Pentecost that she was in, this expression, this speaking in tongues, this lifestyle change, it completely turned them off and they refused to allow her to continue in it. Now she knew what was right. She knew what she needed to be doing, but she also knew she, she was called to be obedient to her parents. And so what she would do is she would Uh, go, she said, even sometimes into the bathroom to be able to lock the door. And in that time when she was all by herself, even though she couldn't go to church, she would spend time praying in the Holy Ghost. And it was uh, was two or three more years that she was unable to ever corporately meet with the body of Christ. But during those two or three years, she began to grow in the Lord because of her obedience to him and just searching his word and and continuing in prayer and continuing in the Holy Ghost and doing her very best to follow his word and be respectful of her parents. And as soon as she was in college and now an adult and, and allowed to make her own decisions, she began 
attending a Pentecostal church, and now she is a minister's wife there in South Dakota. You know, you are responsible for your own obedience, and you have a choice. No matter the situation that you're in, no matter the struggle that you're going through, you can stand and make good choices for the Lord while still being obedient to His entire Word. And I am I, I love that story, and I, I love her obedience and how God blessed her obedience. There's so much power in that. There's a strong parallel between Noah's obedience in building the ark and our obedience to the gospel message. It took a great amount of faith for Noah to build a giant boat for the preservation of his family and the animal kingdom. Nothing like what God warned him about had ever happened before, and most likely Noah did not fully understand what he had agreed to when he started building. It was by faith that Noah was obedient and found salvation. Hebrews eleven seven says this, By faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen, with reverent regard, constructed an ark for the deliverance of his family. Through faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, Noah was just the first in a long line of biblical heroes that displayed their faith by their obedience. Some other people who had obedient faith that are named in Hebrews chapter 11 are Abraham. When he was called to go to a place, he would later receive as in his, as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Verse 17 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. He had obedient faith. Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Verse 30 said, says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. The army of Israel, these people, they obeyed the word of God, even when it made no sense. And because of their obedient faith, these giant walls that were indestructible fell by the power of God. Verse 32 says, and what more shall I say? I do not have the time to tell about Gideon who with obedience sent home most of his army and faced the enemy with only a handful of men? Or how about Barak, who obeyed and won a battle that all the experts would say they were outmatched in? And what about the three Hebrew boys who obeyed the law of God and would not bow to any idol, even at the cost of their own lives? The list could go on and on into the New Testament, and we see that faith without obedience is not faith at all. So what about your faith? Do you live it with obedience? Like Noah, when we hear the gospel message of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we have to respond in faith and become obedient to God's commands. When we first start our Christian walk, we don't understand what we're getting into, but we respond in faith like a child, right? 
with the faith of a child that says, I might not know what's next, but I trust my father who knows what's next. Most of the people that we will disciple in a postmodern, post-Christian North America have not heard or experienced what awaits them in Pentecost. But fortunately for us, God responds to our faith and our obedience while we grow in our understanding. God honored Noah's faith and obedience to a salvation project much larger than Noah could comprehend, that he could picture, and he will do the same for us today. Noah's obedience to God, it also meant that he lived differently from the unrighteous world around him. And just like him, we journey towards God. And as we do, we put greater distance between us and the things of this world. And this is at the core of the pursuit of holiness, learning to separate ourselves to God and away from the world. You know, separation, we talk about that sometimes when we talk about holiness. It, it, we, sometimes, we just tend to talk about how we are separate from the world, but we have got to understand there's so much of a greater meaning. We are separated to God. So while we move away from the standard the world has set from us and we move away from the world, we draw closer to God. There is the benefit of a separation from what this world finds acceptable and, and says that we should be doing. The benefit is that we draw closer to God, separated unto him. And this walk towards holiness, to that separation, toward that separation, it starts with repentance, a genuine sorrow for our wrong actions, and a change of direction in our behavior. Repentance is a key element in our response to God, and it is clearly commanded throughout the New Testament. Repentance, when you see in your life things that are disobedient to God, to his word, to what he has asked us to do and how he has asked us to live, you see and you recognize and you confess those things and you turn away from them. Just as Noah turned away from his corrupt generation, we have to repent and pursue holiness. The very water that destroyed the world in the flood, it is the same water that saved Noah's family as they floated on its surface. Peter picked up that image in his first letter and used the flood as a representation or a symbolic picture of baptism. First Peter chapter three, verse 20 through 21 says this to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built in it, only a few people eight in all were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've been looking for a scripture that tells you about the necessity of baptism, there it is. Clearly, the word of God says that baptism now saves you just like that water saved Noah as it lifted him up above what was being destroyed beneath him, what was dying beneath him. We need to be baptized. We need to obey that commandment. We need uh, uh, Peter, the man who wrote these words, 
would stand up on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and he would proclaim, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is Peter, inspired of God to preach a powerful message and to respond to people who felt convicted and knew that they needed to obey. But what should they obey? And Peter tells them right there, they had to be baptized in the name of Jesus. They had to repent and turn away from sin. And after that, God would fill him with their spirit. After responding to God in faith and repenting of our sinful lifestyle, the next step in our walk with God is to go down in the waters of baptism. It is necessary. God chose through the agents of baptism in the name of Jesus to remove our sins. Like repentance throughout the New Testament, there are many examples and precise commands to be baptized. On multiple occasions, when teaching Bible studies, teachers have been asked, why did God choose water baptism to remove our sins? The honest answer is that we cannot fully explain this. There is a symbolism in washing the body that parallels the washing of our soul and the submerging of the body in water with our burial in Christ, but something more is going on. The God who spoke the world into existence could easily forgive our sins with just a spoken word, but he chose to require us to perform an action in faith, to enact the remission of our sins. That faith in action, demonstrated as an act of obedience, is baptism, and it is pleasing to God. So why water? The answer to this question does not really matter. What is important is that we are obedient to the commandment to be baptized in Jesus' name. Why water? Why not obey when he says it over and over? There are many things we can learn from Noah's example, and this lesson that we've gone through has focused on his obedience. Just as Noah found God's favor and salvation through his obedience, we also find God's favor and salvation in our obedience to the gospel. Biblical love for God is demonstrated by carefully observing all he commands of us, and our obedience requires patient endurance. Following God's instructions may be costly, but it will keep us safe. Finally, as we respond in faith to the gospel message, we must be obedient to the commands of repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus. I want to take you to a story in Acts chapter 16. It's a story you'll probably all be familiar with. But I want to go to the end of that story and see if you recognize it with me. It's dark. There's just been an earthquake. And the apostle yells out, stop, don't kill yourself. We are still here. And the jailer, sword drawn, paused. If the, mo the voice had come a moment later, it would have been too late. Just a few minutes before, the jailer had been sound asleep when suddenly there was a massive earthquake. The ground shook so violently that everything tumbled off the shelves and tables and where he was sleeping at the front of the prison was shaken and everything moved. Even the jailer was shaken right out of bed and onto the floor. It was the middle of the night. He fumbled to light a candle. He peered into the darkness 
From the dim light of the candle in his hand, he knew immediately that the prison doors were open. This was really bad. He was responsible for the prisoners, and he knew that his life was at stake if they had escaped. So he thought it better just to go ahead and kill himself rather than to suffer at the hands of an executioner. But a voice was calling out from the innermost cell of the dungeon saying everything was okay. And when the jailer came to their cell, he recognized the two men who were brought in earlier that day. They were badly beaten for doing something that almost started a riot in the town marketplace. And now... They were sitting peacefully on the floor, smiling at him, and the shackles that he himself had put on their feet were lying open beside them. As he looked at their bruised faces and the cuts on their bodies, he realized something was different about them. These were not ordinary prisoners. Shaking with awe and fear, the jailer fell down before them and asked who they were. And then the jailer brought them out of their cell and into his quarters. As they talked, Paul and Silas told him who they were, that they were messengers of some God named Jesus. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer asked. Then they told him to believe the good news about Jesus and explain the Hebrew scriptures to him. Right then, in the middle of the night, the jailer woke his family up. They all listened to the instructions of Paul and Silas, and while the jailer washed and treated their wounds, When the two prisoners finished explaining repentance and baptism, the entire family was immediately baptized and became part of the body of Christ. Both Noah and this Philippian jailer showed us that when we are obedient to God, he will bless us with his favor. Noah obeyed God and was spared from the destruction of the flood. The Philippian jailer was obedient to the gospel message and his entire family was baptized. To find God's favor, we also have to obey the gospel by responding in faith, finding repentance, being baptized in Jesus' name, and receiving the Holy Spirit. Beyond that, we must also show obedience like Paul and Silas did. They stayed sure of their faith and were obedient in worship even when circumstances were bad. They could have bowed to this impossible situation of being imprisoned, of being beaten. They could have given in to complaining and doubting, but instead they worshiped. And the favor in their obedience was freedom for themselves and even their jailer. God was watching what they would do in this hard situation. But so were others. It wasn't just the jailer that was liberated that day. It wasn't just Paul and Silas. But Acts 16 tells us that as Paul and Silas worshipped, there was a great earthquake. As they prayed, the foundation of the prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were loosed. Continuing to obey. Remember that long obedience in the same direction. Even when it's hard, even when it takes patience, obeying then can lead not just to God's favor in our own life, but we can affect affect those that are bound beyond us. We can see freedom for those that are bound, freedom for those that God is trying to reach out and touch through, through our obedience, through our actions. Just as Noah affected his entire family and they followed him onto that ark. There are people watching us 
and they are willing to follow us to salvation. And will we lead the way for them? God, thank you. Thank you for reminding us that we need to be obedient to you. Thank you for your word and that you've given us clear instruction about the gospel message. Lord, we glorify and we honor you, and we want not to just do that with our words, but we want to show you how much we love you with our obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.